Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. And so then we're talking about this idea of standards, again, that we see uh, happening in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation in so much uh, from the very beginning in Genesis whenever Adam and Eve transgressed against the Lord, realized then their conscience, they had this knowledge of good and evil, they ate of that tree, they could see that they were naked, but now they were ashamed, whereas before they were naked and unashamed. And we understand in Scripture that they sewed fig leaves together the Bible says they made themselves aprons amen but time would come that whenever they had that encounter with God the Bible says that God made them coats of skins to clothe them and so the aprons that they tried to prepare for themselves evidently wasn't good enough in the sight of God and he made coats and the Bible clearly says to clothe them so we had that from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation where the lamb in the book of Revelation the bride of the lamb more importantly is making herself ready for that that grand time of marriage with her groom the church if you will it speaks of that's making herself ready for her groom and she makes herself ready the Bible says with the fine linen uh, which is the righteousness of the saints clean and white or if you will clean and pure and we must remember again those garments that was given they were given to her they were not of her own but they were given to her by that one that she was to be espoused to we stopped this morning talking about uh, corrupt communications Corrupt communications. If anybody is just really wanting to know, we were on number five. Somebody scratching their head because they remember the total number, but they don't remember where we left off. We were on number five. But also this evening, and again, if I can't explain, and I, uh, just as for people that may have not been here this morning, we are just hitting the tops of the trees, okay? We're not cutting down the tree. We're just hitting the tops of the trees. And if you're new to uh, the, word of the God, Word of God, if you're new to God uh, all in all, uh, or maybe you've never even been born again of the water and the Spirit, uh, you can take this and just set it aside, all right, for now. It's applicable. It's a good principle, but it's not for you now. Uh, you need to be born again of the water and Spirit. You need to repent of your sins. That's first, foremost, and primary uh, for you in your life life but another six number six that I want to talk about uh, tonight and uh, I know I was riding some rough waves this morning and I, I, I I'm already I, I, I psyched myself this afternoon and told me it was just going to be this I didn't even take a nap I just stayed awake telling myself it's just going to be the same amen because that's just the subject matter amen that we're on here tonight but another thing concerning God's word that we'll get into and that is in first Timothy 2 and verse number nine the scripture that we started with this morning the Bible Bible spoke of whenever we were talking about men and their spiritual leadership of uh, uplifting holy hands and without wrath and without doubting how that was applicable uh, to the man because those were items of things that men had problems with concerning their holiness their attitudes and their spiritual leadership and then women on the other hand speaking to them about their appearance something that they struggle with whether in church or out of church uh, that there is a struggle with appearance the Bible spoke in that first Timothy 2 9 it spoke of the woman and her shame faceness her shame facedness that means that women are not to do anything to draw attention to their 
face in part. As a matter of fact, the Bible always portrays women. And, and if, again, this is the Bible, folks. I, I don't want anybody to say, well, this is what Pastor McGee said, bless God. The Bible portrays, you can look for, through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, that the Bible portrays uh, women that wore cosmetics as a woman that were prone to prostitution or advertising their bodies. That was the association that was made with those type of things and those type of... And today, when we talk about cosmetics, we're, we're, we're not just talking about women today. We're talking about men and women today. In reality, we're talking about men and women today. Uh, cosmetics are defined as a substance used to enhance the beauty of the human body apart from simple cleansing. There are various forms of cosmetics that fall under that category, even if you were just to look it up. Some of those things include uh, uh, lipstick, foundation, powder, blush, mascara, eyeliner, eyeshadow, nail polish, all these different things. As a matter of fact, history tells us that the Romans used cosmetics, the, the, the cosmetics that they used uh, had mercury in them. And uh, that's no longer used because mercury was toxic. <laughs> they, come to, they come to find out that mercury was toxic. And so they didn't use those anymore. But there's still ingredients in cosmetics that are still a little bit surprising for some when they use them. For instance, many lipsticks have in them fish scales. And uh, there are others that uh, serve as a, a cheap source of fat, fish scales do. Uh, but also some other cosmetics have in them well fat. Now, don't you feel better about yourself, amen, that if you've ever used or are using cosmetics that you're just putting a little well fat, little fish scales on your face, amen, to beautify yourself. When's the last time you looked at a fish and said, that is just one gorgeous fish? Amen. I'm sorry. I'm being honorary there. Amen. But even throughout time, used to we used to really capitalize on that. And a lot of cosmetics uh, used to years ago, I don't know how much more anymore that they do this, but there were aborted babies that were in their ingredients. Uh, collagen, that was the ingredient. Collagen was aborted babies. That's inside of some cosmetics. And it still might be on some. I don't know. I haven't looked of late. But I remember years ago, Bishop, as we did studies like this, that collagen, even, even, even you got to really watch that because that sometimes pops up in a lot of things, but collagen was in their ingredients. And so we, we try, we try, amen, according to God's word, shamefacedness, not to do anything to draw any more attention to our face than what God has already drawn. Let me tell you, sometimes whenever I was a teenager, God put a pimple on my face and that was all the attention I needed. <laughs> amen. But what I'm saying, uh, God, God has made and formed each and every one of you individually. Uh, the Bible speaks in Psalms that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made, just as you are. You're fearfully, and I know that's hard to get through our minds because we all see quirks and quirks, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The, the handicapped person, whenever they came from the womb, they were fearfully and wonderfully made, just as much as the one without the handicap. They have God's fingerprint upon them. And although I may not be the most handsome fellow around, this is the way that God made me. And, and I'm going to try to walk accepting what God's done and believing he did a good job. I'm not going to make up the rest. I'm not going to make up the rest. I don't want to do that and say, God, you didn't do good enough with me. So I got to do something to add to or subtract from whatever in order to make this better. God did a good job whenever he did what he did. And as a result of that, folks, I'm losing hair. 
All right, it's evident I'm losing hair. As I see more pictures of the backside of me, I see that, that I'm losing hair. And as I am uh, doing my hair sometimes in the morning, I'm seeing these little gray streaks that's coming up over here in the sides of my head. Listen, that doesn't bother me. My wife has been gray now for a few years, for a few years, and there's something to be spoken of about gray heads. The Bible said it's a crown of glory. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 31 that it speaks of a hoary head. A hoary head, if you look up the word hoary, amen, in the Hebrew, it not only does it denote old age, but it also denotes a gray head, a gray-headed hair. But that is a crown of glory if it be found particularly in the way of righteousness, the Bible says. Amen. And so on more than one occasion, Scripture speaks of a hoary head. You don't have to, you don't have to feel bad about your hair turning gray. Amen. There's, there's no shame in that. Amen. You got enough years under your belt, you should say, hey, I earned every bit of that. Amen. Some of you looking back at your kids could say, I earned every bit of that gray hair. Amen, it's a distinguishable trait of glory and honor. Some even associated with wisdom. Now, not all gray heads are wise. I just want to throw that in there. Just in case you think that just is like, you know, that comes along with it. But, 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 but we, we, we don't, you know, have to color our hair another place. It's a glory. It's a crown of glory. Amen, to have that upon our lives. Also, whenever we speak then from cosmetics, we move to the idea and the topic of jewelry. And again, this is a topic that could apply both to men and to women today. The Bible refers to it, uh, the terminology that the Bible uses is ornaments uh, in the Old Testament times throughout scripture uh, they were maybe a little different maybe some that we're not familiar with today but they spoke of chains and earrings and jewels for hair bracelets and many other types of jewelry that we might not be familiar with uh, but jewelry in those days were worn on the head and on the neck and on the arms and on the fingers and on the legs amen and some of that we have all over the body today you know that well you've seen uh, things all over uh, the body amen but we find in scripture that the Bible constantly calls for jewelry to be removed so people could worship the Lord we have occurrences in scripture now here's the thing you say brother McGee you have a wedding ring on right now I agree I have a wedding ring on right now this wedding ring serves a purpose this says that I have a attachment more than that I have a legal attachment a bond a love I'm, I, I am joined to a lady if you wear a watch your watch is going to serve the purpose of time I guess though nowadays we have cell phones and everything else we depend upon uh, but your watch serves the purpose of, of giving you the time but these other things that are just there with no purpose but for adorning or adding to certain things the Bible says in Genesis 35 verses 1 through 4 and you don't have to get these uh, sister McGee we remember that Jacob called for his family to lay down those things that were separating them from God and that's whenever they begin to pull off those things without him even asking particulars they begin to pull off the jewelry and the earrings uh, to be laid down and buried under the oak as it were in order so they can make their progression to Bethel the house of bread the house of God to worship in Exodus 33 Moses commanded all of Israel to take off their jewelry in order to go before the Lord Israel now where did Israel get that because whenever they came out of Egyptian bondage the Bible said they spoiled the houses of the Egyptians 
and they took some of those things upon themselves and then God had to deal with them so that they would be remitted from their lives as well. Isaiah 3, verses 17 through 24, God's judgment fell on Israel whose pride is described, their pride is described or associated with the jewelry they wore. Now that makes sense. Because even in our day, some people uh, have a sense of pride with the riches, the cost, and the expense of the adorning of jewels upon their body. You know, we used to make, uh, we used, used to, you know, have fun. We're talking about whenever somebody just newly engaged, they raised their hand a little bit more than what they used to because they wanted everybody to see their engagement ring. <laughs> There comes vanity and great vexation of the spirit whenever you start talking about, amen, jewelry, amen. But that is something else that we must keep in check whenever we consider standards of holiness. Another thing uh, scripture declares, Ephesians 5, verse number 18, Sister McGee, if you can get that for me. The Bible says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Go on to Luke 21 and verse 34. The Bible says, and take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves. Let at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. Now we understand that uh, alcohol has some effects that it dulls your senses. Your reaction times are not what they should be. It dulls from your senses. And, and even the writer here in Luke, he's using this analogy of drunkenness. He said, we don't want surfeiting or drunkenness. And although he was speaking in a spiritual realm, he said, because we don't want you to miss the day of his coming. We don't want your senses to be dulled. And so if he was using that as analogy, then that must be a real issue in the physical world. That real drunkenness uh, somehow dulls your senses. Now look, Proverbs 20 and verse number one. Be not drunk. He, he said, remember, don't be drunk with wine. We're in his excess. Proverbs 20 and verse one. He said, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever's deceived thereby is not wise. He is not wise. I know people that uh, after having been drunk, whenever they came back to their senses and became sober, they realized they'd done some things that they wished they had never done. Said some things they wished they had never said. Some people have went to great lengths and did things in moments of drunkenness that now they're sitting behind bars for times of incarceration. Amen. A strong drink, uh, wine, drinking, becoming drunk. Amen. It is not wise. It is not wise amen the bible says now look at this this is god's word in galatians 5 verse 19 uh, we read about uh, the fruits of the spirit love and joy and peace and goodness and long-suffering and gentleness the fruits of the spirit but we also read about the works of the flesh and the bible says now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these and here's the list adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings. This is getting a long list. You better be glad that they didn't list everything. Envyings, 
murders, drunkenness, revelings, and so that the list doesn't go on and on and on, and such like. And such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they, now this is important, folks, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have a concise list and then and a such like because the writer could write and write and write and, and not only that, we would also be looking for a def definitive list and says, well, we'll just say if this, anything beyond that, then you know how we are. If you have a rule, you'll abide by the rule, but you'll find the loophole for the rule. So if we give a definitive list, we're just going to go by the list, and if we can go, so such like kind of covers a broad, broad base. Amen. Galatians 5, 21. And so drunkenness and such like, do such things, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's, that's serious, that's important. Going on now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that I alluded to, just a little time earlier, and I'm getting bad about not starting the timer. Amen, nevertheless. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the hair issue applying, again, both to men and women. Uh, the way we deal with our hair is an authority issue, a subjection issue. Uh, we don't, uh, women do not uh, cut their hair. The men do keep theirs uh, properly cut, amen, and trimmed. And I, we're not going through all of this. We could. That's what that two-week lesson was on glory and honor uh, back there. But whenever speaking of the Bible, we say, well, concerning long hair, and you've heard this a thousand times maybe, but maybe not. You say, well, Brother McGee, I don't cut my hair. Well, the moment you quit cutting your hair is the moment it becomes long, Amen. Because the word long in the Greek means uncut. Amen. So, so if you're starting your relationship with the Lord and you feel the Lord tugging on your heart in this uh, prescription and, and you stop cutting your hair, it is long in the sight of God because uncut hair is long. All right? But also whenever the Bible was speaking about these different things, it's speaking about that the head of every man is Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. It speaks to us that the head of every woman is man and that the head of Christ is God. So they all have a head or an authority or a source that they should be responsible to. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians 11, again, I'm not going to go through every bit of it, but the Scripture speaks that, that man is the glory of God. It speaks that man is the glory of God, and that woman is the glory of man, if you will remember. And so the scripture relayed that if a man uncovers his head, natural head, that he dishonoreth his head, his spiritual head, which is Christ. And that if a woman, if a woman, did I say that wrong? If a man had his head covered, I'm sorry. If a man had his head covered, he dishonoreth his head, which is Christ. A woman, if she has her head uncovered, her natural head, she dishonoreth her head, which is the man. Now, I did this before. I don't know if we can do it again. I'm trying to run along here. Brother Pat, can you help me real quick? All right, he can, he said. Now, the glory, the glory, the glory of the man is God, the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11. Whenever his head is uncovered, all right, 
And the, the, the words covered there are, are verbs until you get like to verse 15 where it speaks of covering. That's a noun speaking of the veil. All right? Which the Bible plainly says her long hair is her covering or her veil. Her long hair is her veil. Tells you exactly what the veil is. But his head being uncovered, all right? He's not, he's not dishonoring his head. And being uncovered, man is the glory of God. All right? A woman, I don't have long hair, I'm sorry. <laughs> a woman having her head covered, this is not what it means, I don't have long hair, but having her head covered, natural head, long hair, all right? She's honoring her head, which is the man. And in doing so, the glory of the woman is the man. So whenever she's covered, listen to me, man's glory is concealed. And whenever he's uncovered, He's the glory of God. God's glory is unveiled. So when men and women follow this row of covered and uncovered, the glory is where the glory needs to be. Man's glory concealed, but God's glory revealed. But whenever we get it backwards, <laughs> and the man is covered, and I'll be the lady, <laughs> and the man's covered, he's dishonoring his head, which is Christ. But man is the glory of God, so the glory of God is concealed. And then the woman, here I am, all wonderful here, whenever her hair, her covering, when she's dishonoring her head by being uncovered, she's dishonoring her head, which is the man, but the woman is the glory of man. And in doing so, the glory of God then, man, you have to look at 1 Corinthians 11, is concealed, and the glory of man is uncovered. So where's the, the glory at that point in time is misappropriated. There's glory going to man while the glory of God is being concealed. But whenever we're distinct in our hair, distinct in our submission and authority of who our head is, God will always get, you're right, God will always get the glory and that's where the glory should go. It should go to God. Keep man concealed, but let the glory of God be revealed and let it stand for the eons of time. For the eons of time. Amen. For one thing, five reasons. Amen. Here, ladies, even the Bible speaks of concerning uh, your hair. Amen. Being, it is your power. It's your glory. It's your covering. It's your subjection. And because of the angels, nonetheless. So just, just, just let it be as God would have it to be. And you're honoring him in doing so. And the man that is in your life. Amen. Number 10. Amen. If you want more on that, see glory and honor. I'm sure there's two lessons and they're probably at least 45 minutes apiece. So that's a good hour and a half or two hours. Amen. A Bible study just on 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Amen. Number 10, a distinction of the sexes. Distinction of the sexes. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, we need a distinction of the sexes. And the lines get more blurred today than perhaps it ever has. The Bible says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, I understand that this scripture is not referring specifically to pants on women, because culturally in that day, they didn't wear pants. 
They did wear robes, as did the men did wear robes. But if you study the history of it, they were distinctly different robes. One distinguished that of the female gender. One was distinguishing that of the male gender. And obviously this command would not have been given if men and women dressed in the exact same fashion. Why would it even be given that she shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man if there was not something to wear that was a man's? The Bible says, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, there are various times in Scripture the Bible speaks of certain things as an abomination. Whenever you see something as abomination, you could search it out. Or you consider things as an abomination. For the most part, to my understanding, from what I have seen, those things do not change. Meaning that if it was abomination then, it still exists as abomination. All right? Uh, for one matter, there were things in the Old Testament that had to do with uh, civil law and ceremonial law seemed to be done away with but the moral law of God moral law, law of God stood from the Old Testament even into the New Testament but civil laws and ceremonial laws those things were done away with uh, we don't sacrifice the blood of goats and rams anymore he himself being the lamb went in that one time and offered himself and so those ceremonial things have closed but the moral law of God still stands but things that were denoted as abomination uh, usually do not do not change and with, with that in mind and I don't know if I uh, submitted this to you Sister McGee but Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27 uh, speaking in the book of Revelation the Bible states these words I did give it to no I didn't okay Revelation 21 and verse 27 amen thank you and there shall in no wise enter into any in enter to it anything that defileth it's speaking of the heavenly city here speaking of the heavenly city there shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life and so that which was an abomination in the Old Testament remains consistent and unchanged as an abomination and scripture reveals to you and I that there shall be nothing that worketh abomination that shall enter into that city or defile so God is just telling us he wants a man to look like a man a man and a woman to look as a woman if we were to just skip back just real quickly if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and it speaks about the subject matter of hair and things along those lines it says doth not nature itself teach you Amen. And, uh, you know, we go, still yet today, they've not changed it, but still yet today, if they don't have the words men and women's restroom, they have a picture on there. And the lady, as it were, stick person, <laughs> is adorned with some type of triangular thing toward the bottom of her waist on that I'm guessing to be a dress or skirt. And the men have trousers that split all the way up to their crotch. Amen. Not only that, this is, I see time and time again uh, with my children going through kindergarten and they're asked to draw pictures whether they're in my household or somebody else's household, even to draw a picture of their family. They still somehow put mom in a skirt and in a dress. 
Now, even if that's not taking place in their household, they seem to be doing this. Why is that? Because something inherently called nature inside of that child is dictating to them this is how things are supposed to be. Amen. Going on here tonight with the context of Deuteronomy 22, if you'll look at verses 6 and 9 that go along with verse number 5 that I've already read in your hearing, the Bible says, if a bird's nest chance to be before thee in the way in any tree, or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest prolong thy days. In other words, the scripture is saying you can take you can take and let the mother bird go, but take the eggs or the young and the purpose, the idea that's being relayed here and in the next verses is the thought of preservation. Uh, preserving the, the young, uh, the damn, she's old enough, she's mature enough, she can take care of her own, but those young, it's the idea of preservation in the context of verse 5 going on. The idea is preservation, preserve the life of the young. We go on then with verse number 8. When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof. It was almost like having a fence on top of your roof. A battlement is. Make a battlement for thy roof that thou bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from thence. In other words, they went out on the roofs in that culture and time and you didn't want somebody falling off your roof. And so in order to do so, you kept a fence or a battlement upon your roof to make sure and sure that no blood was shed upon your rooftop as you and your buddy Joe was up there walking around. I know that sounds just crazy, but we're talking about about a different culture and a different time. And he says in verse 9, And thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with diverse seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. Again, in verses 8 and 9, the thought is preservation because in this passage, it's teaching a preservation concerning the seed, not mixing the seed, a preservation of identity. Let corn be corn. It's not, I'm talking about it, it, the concept is preservation. Not mixing the seed because we're preserving an identity. Amen. With, with the, the mother and the young, it's preserving the life. It's preserving the life. Even with the battlement that's up on the roof, it's a preservation of life upon the roof. So God is saying, if I may, God is telling us, starting with let a woman wear that which pertains to her, a man basically wear that which pertains to him. He goes on talking about these young ones preserve the life. He goes on talking about these diverse seeds keep them separate to preserve the identity. It's all in context. They're all in context. They're all there together. God is telling us the way that you preserve identity, the way that you preserve life in the human race is for the woman to be a woman and a man to be a man. Amen. Preservation. Preservation. Amen. Going on here this evening. We're rocking and rolling. It's all good. Amen. Hallelujah. Another thing we got to be careful of as Christians and not Christians is idle time. Idle time. You've heard us say, oh, Grandma Campbell, idle time is a devil's workshop. Amen. Someone once said that idle time is the devil's busy time. 
idle time. You talk about casual. The word casual by definition means unplanned. The word casual is actually the root word of casualty. Don't become a casualty by being casual in your actions. Idle time, we all love it. But if we don't have anything prescribed or going on, it can be a real setback. What are you saying? I've seen people that got some idle time on their hand that, man, they started nitpicking the church and people in the church because they just finally had time to think about some things. Amen. I've seen gossip crop up in homes and places where people got together, didn't have anything planned, but just had some idle time. Amen. Uh, David, whenever he didn't go to war and stayed home and had idle time, that's whenever he went to his roof and he seen Bathsheba that was washing. <laughs> Nothing planned today, not going to war, pausing, but his idle time was a snafu for him in that hour. You've heard me perhaps say before that Israel was closest to God when they found themselves in their battles. Joshua is a, a large book concerning warfare and battles. They were the closest to God when they found themselves in battles. You know, whenever they had their most hardened moments or their hardest moments in their life, it's whenever they had idle time. When Israel had some idle time, they fell vulnerable, amen, to sin and other situations. Amen. Hallelujah. And the problem is this, because you may have heard it said the same as I. Uh, may, many, maybe sometimes that make uh, threatening mistakes in their life and they're happen. And sometimes what I've heard told in the confines of my office or elsewhere is this, I didn't mean for anything to happen. I didn't mean for anything to happen. Well, you didn't plan for anything to happen any different either. Idle time got to be careful amen it's people with nothing to do sometimes that get in trouble <laughs> amen that get in trouble uh, so so casual statements can can lead from you know i love my church uh, and those type of statements to finding some real problems with people that you set by every service amen idle time casual conversations casual attitudes casual time could become a casualty the book of psalms 127 and verse 2 it says it's vain for you to rise up early someone's saying already amen on that <laughs> it's vain for you to rise up early no and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows for so he giveth his beloved sleep in other words there's no reason for you being up early in the bed late and just worrying Sometimes idle time uh, gives somebody over to a spirit of worry, wringing your heads. You just don't know, man, the bills. I just don't know. Oh, my health. And you, you have idle time. You have time for your mind to think. And a lot of times your thinking isn't even your own, but the enemy just comes and plants a little seed during the idle time, and you build upon it, you ponder about it, and you think, you know what? They did kind of look at me wrong the other night. All it, that's all it takes. You have idle time. You're not doing anything, and it's like, you know, brother and so-and-so kind of looked at you different the other night. And you're just like, by golly, you know he did. I don't, and you start thinking and pondering. And you take something that may not even exist and you build it into something very, very big. Amen. And it gets out of hand. Number 12, sexual sins. Standards, holiness, sexual sins. 1 Corinthians 7.1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I understand the context in which that is said. Amen. But I also understand the propensity 
of mankind. Amen. I'm not talking about it's, it's not good for a man to touch a woman within the marriage covenant. And someone go home and try to use that tonight. You're probably going to have a tall tree to bark up. But natural inborn, a God-given desire for a man is to desire to be with a woman. From the very beginning, God had created it as so. Men and women designed and created for each other. There's just a, uh, what I would call a natural magnetism between the two. It's natural. It's God intended for man and a woman to desire one another. But that union between a man and a woman is to be sacred and a lifelong bond within the institution of marriage and nowhere else. Now let me tell you, if that has happened, it's an easily forgiven sin. But sometimes repentance is hard for the perpetrator. You hear me? It's easily forgiven. I'm telling you right now. There's, there's, God, he can do that in a moment. <laughs> easily forgiven. But sometimes repentance is hard for the perpetrator because they're carrying guilt and they're carrying shame and they just don't know what they can do about that to bring that into the presence of the Lord for him to deal with but with that being said the Bible admonishes us in 1 Corinthians 6.18 it admonishes us then to flee fornication remember fornication is kind of a broad term for sexual immorality that covers a lot of bases he said flee fornication now the, the, the best way that I can just describe to you what flee means is just run for your life I'm serious Honestly, there are tones of that in the Greek. Run for your life. Flee for One person said, what's the smallest sin in the Bible? Flee fornication. F-L-E-A, never mind. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. <clears throat> it says, every, every, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others, in that sexual sin will validate, validate uh, violate the sacredness of our own bodies which are what according to what we learned earlier this morning to be actually the temple to be the temple of the Holy Ghost can someone say amen so set apart people holiness people be you holy for I am holy the scripture told us 1 Corinthians nine twenty seven. Paul says but I keep under my body and bring into subjection it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway Paul says I keep my body and bring it into subjection lest by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway Paul's saying I, I have preached, I've taught, and I've lived standards of consecration in my own life. I've spoken it to the, the churches of Corinth, Thessalonica, Rome, all these places I've went on my missionary trips and journeys. And he says, if I've built up that type of consecration in my own life and then start letting some of those old past things back in my life, then I will make myself a castaway I will make myself common again amen because reality standards are an issue of consecration of consecration called to be a set 
apart people. Again, people, things, and places. Tabernacle anointed, set apart from the rest of the world. Nobody could enter into the holy place except the priests and the holies of holies except the high priest once a year. The practice kept it holy. Separation protected it from desecration, from contamination, from defilement. The Bible speaks of, and again, uh, these things, these things, standards that we're speaking about this morning tonight, these things are not the definition of holiness, amen, which we covered in the previous lesson. They are things, again, that protect that holiness. The things that protect that holiness. I'm coming very quickly to a close. Leviticus 27 and verse 14. The Bible says, and when a man shall sanctify, which means set apart when a man shall sanctify or set apart his house to be holy unto the Lord then the priest shall estimate it and whether it be good or bad as the priest shall estimate it so shall it stand and so a man bishop he is doing a dedicating of his house unto the Lord, holy unto the Lord, sanctifying it, set apart unto the Lord. And as a result of that, a priest had to come because this man's saying this house is belonging to God. It's holy. It's set apart. It's not common. It's going to be the Lord. So he's going to have a priest come. And this is the best way, I guess, to say it. Maybe not. Someone has a better way. But he was going to have a holiness appraisal. Yeah. He's going to have a holiness appraisal of this house that he's setting apart unto the Lord. And so the priest is going to come in here. He's going to give an assessment of the house. And the assessment that the priest gave was final. It was whatever the priest said it was. In other words, there were no appeals made. Uh, you had to set up the house if it was to be a holy house, sanctified house, uncommon house, according to the estimation of the priest. So the priest could come in and say, this is what you're setting aside as holy, as you're setting aside as, as not common but special unto the Lord. He comes in and says, well, we got something over here that doesn't quite match what it should match. Right. Or we have, that's great, that's wonderful. But whatever the estimate of the priest was, so it was. It was according to the priest's Estimate. Can I tell you today, amen, that we have also, as they had a high priest then, we have a high priest now. Now, he's not in some garment and he's not in some booth somewhere in the church, but we have a high priest, Scripture speaks of, plainly in Hebrews, speaking of Jesus Christ. And we need to allow him into our houses that we're saying, God, we're setting even these temples, if you want to call it as such, wholly set apart unto the Lord, and whatever the assessment of the priest is, let it be the assessment. Amen. If his estimate is, well, that's good, then that's great. If his estimate is, that's not so good, then let me make whatever alterations need to be made in order to match the estimation of the priest with his holiness appraisal, so to speak. Amen. And sure things.
things up in my home, in my life, because for sure we understand tonight that all of this starts right here, really, in our hearts. It will never get out here if it doesn't first start here. So we're, we're, we're trying to throw, throw good stuff at bad stuff, bad stuff at good stuff, if we try to do all of this out here and don't concentrate ever here. If you get this right, amen, remember it's going to affect your speech, it's going to affect other aspects of your life. It, the Bible says, what is it, Proverbs 4, 23, 3, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it flow issues of life. He said it's not, in Matthew, he said it's not what a man puts in his body that defiles him, but it's the things that come from man, namely from his heart. He said murders and adulteries and adulteries all come from the heart of man. And so our major con concentration, yes, all these external things, yes, but if it's not in our heart, if we've not surrendered our heart, that's where it really starts because whenever I surrender my heart to God, I'll surrender my lifestyle to God. When I surrender my heart to God, I'll surrender my mind to God. When I surrender my heart to God, I'll surrender every other aspect of my life. Everything, the, the issues of life flow from here. They, they just flow unhindered from here. If adulteries and things are taking place, they come from the heart. But if I get my heart right and I get the word in my heart, then those things that are going to flow from my heart, if my heart's pure, the things that flow from my heart are going to be pure. If my heart's defiled, the things from my heart's going to be defiled. So when it all comes down, the old saying used to be this, that the, the, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. Really, folks, we can just somehow paint up and try to fix all the exteriors, but if we get the heart where the heart needs to be, those other things will happen in due time as a byproduct of the heart. Amen. You'll stand with me here today or this evening. Byproduct of the heart. So my prayer to God is, Lord, help change my heart. Because that is the origin of change for any and everything else in life. I just have the Lord to touch and minister and help change my heart, my issues of life are impacted and affected if I can just have him change my heart. If we embow our heads all across this place here this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.